since tonight is Wednesday night, it is what we call Bible study tonight. I thought we'd study a little bit of the Bible. Is that okay tonight? All right, you got to stick with me, though. Don't fall asleep on me. We'll be all right, all right? So uh, I want us to go through the journey, uh, take a journey tonight through the life of which I consider a person that's one of the most, uh, in my mind, interesting judges. If you ever read through the book of Judges, it is a crazy book. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that is in there and a lot of uh, material to really dig out there. Uh, one of the most interesting judges that I found was the, um, the judge of, that was named Samson. We're going to take a look at his life and death here tonight, and then we're going to look at, at the end some lessons. I think we can really glean from his life by looking it over and seeing what we can apply to us as well. Uh, that's why I've titled this message, uh, Lessons from Samson. So I know, genius wordplay. It's amazing. Uh, uh, is this better? I've been told. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that sounds a lot better. Thank you. Um, so uh, that's where we're going to go today. Let's go for the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for the rest of this service. Pray that God has his way here tonight. Heavenly Father, before we go into the word here tonight, I pray that you would touch each and every one of our hearts and minds here tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would be focused solely on your word and what we can hear from you and what we can learn from your word. I pray that we would take every thought under captivity and we would want to meditate upon what your word has for us tonight, what you, we can glean from it, Lord, to draw us closer to you in this walk of life. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the glory, Lord, that you're worthy of in the mighty name of Jesus. So let the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated here tonight. Thank you for standing. So before we start talking about Samson and going into this, I think it's kind of important that we look at the, the state that the nation of Israel was in at this time in the Bible. The first verse of chapter 13, as so you all open to, to 13, kind of follow along. The first verse, Judges 13, 1 says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So if in my mind, the key word in this sentence is again. <laughs> the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. If you've read through the books of history in the Old Testament, you'll be hard-pressed to miss. There's a cycle that goes through with the children of Israel. There's a cycle that they go through. I read a good statement that described this. It says basically sin, servitude, sorrow, salvation. Sin, servitude, sorrow, and salvation. They turn away from God and start doing uh, things in their own mind. They start sinning. Their sin then normally leads them into captivity by one of the foreign kings that took over Israel. There are many of them. Uh, during this time of captivity, obviously, they're going to be very sorrowful. They're going to be sorry that they ever did what they did at the very beginning. And then God would bring along a deliverer. He would bring someone that's going to bring them out and bring their salvation. And the whole cycle, then once they have their salvation, it starts right at the very beginning. They start sinning again and goes through and through. Sin, servitude, sorrow, salvation. It's very different, not different from the way that many Christians, we live our lives as well. Many of us will get into a cycle where we'll go through a Christian life and maybe there's a sin that attaches itself to us. Maybe there's a sin that we really struggle with. We struggle with that sin. Depending on how long we're in that sin, that may lead to servitude, meaning that we are captured by that sin. We are held by that sin. We're held captive. And then in that capture, we feel sorry because we don't want to be doing this sin. We don't want to be, you know, going through all this stuff. And then God may give us a breakthrough like we sang tonight. God gives us a breakthrough and we're able to have salvation and rest restoration once again. So we can be very similar to the children of Israel during this time as well. And this is when Samson comes into play 
This is in the, they're in the midst of this cycle. They have been captured by the Philistines for about 40 years at this point. And Samson's going to begin this process of deliverance. Note, he's not going to end it, though. He is not going to end it. The, the, this wouldn't be until Samuel and King David really come along, in which he, they finally are delivered from the Philistines. So look, let's look at this judge named Samson. First off, he comes from a very humble, humble origins. Uh, Manoah was his father, and his mother is actually unnamed. We don't know who the mother was. Uh, she was barren, and this is in the Bible times. Maybe you may know this is one of the worst things that could happen to a woman in the Bible times was that she was barren. She had no kids. There's nothing to, to uh, further their lineage, especially if they didn't have boys. Boys were free labor, right? Boys could work the fields. It was cheaper to marry off the boys at those times as well. You didn't have to give a dowry for the boys. So, but she was barren, and it wasn't going to be for long, thankfully. Many women, they consider that barrenness to be like a curse. So this wouldn't continue until one day an angel of God comes unto the mother of Samson. Samson wasn't there at the time. And they said that she was going, they said the same thing that I mentioned, that this uh, Samson was going to begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. And we see this in Judges 13 and 5. And I find it interesting that it does say begin here, because the angel knew that this wasn't Samson's job to deliver fully. He probably could have, but he, the decisions that he made leading up to it, he was not going to be that person that, that fully delivered it. The angel tells her, you're not to drink. You're not to drink anything, eat of the vine, anything unclean, or cut his hair, because he was going to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite. So many of those that, that, that may or not know is what is a Nazarite. In summary, a Nazarite was one of the people that, as a member of a class, that they would dedicate in their lives to God. They are devoted to God. Uh, the Hebrew term means consecration. It means devotion. It means separation. Um, there's tr traditionally two forms, so I'm not going to go into deep in it. It's actually in the book of Numbers. They go through it. But two forms is one will take a vow of the Nazarite. Take the vow of the Nazarite, and they're able to uh, dedicate themselves to God. Otherwise, like Samson, Samson was the one that was going to be dedicated from birth, that he would be a Nazarite. And we know that God worked in Samson. In Judges 13, 24 through 25, it says, And the woman bare a son, and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him at times in the camp of Dan, between Zorah and Estal. So the, we don't really know what that meant, that, that, day, that he, the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him, what acts that he may have done during this time of, of growth. Uh, but, but the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and the Lord did bless him during his uprising. Or his, his, his upbringing, I should say. We don't know those exact details. But after we find out that the Lord did touch him, it moves right into what the number one weakness of Samson was. Does anyone care to guess what that weakness, number one weakness was? Women. Not just women, but ungodly women at this point. He had a, a unhealthy desire for Philistine women. The first woman we we're introduced to is the woman in Timnah. An interesting one of this, the very beginning, there may have been other ones before we're not led to. The very beginning, the first woman, the woman of Timnah, is that this is, God was going to use this relationship to start a war with the Philistines. In Judges 14, 3 through 4, it says, this is his mother and father talking to him. Then his father and mother said unto him, is there oh, never a woman of the daughters of thy brethren, or maybe among the people, you know, any one of our people that you could pick, basically, uh, that thou goest to find a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Very straightforward, not thinking about what his parents, well, what God wanted, but what he wanted instead. His father and his mother knew 
But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. It was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So even in Samson's mishap, in Samson's uh, misstep of what he was trying to do, go and go outside the will of God, God was willing to use that mistake to start the deliverance of the fighting of the Philistines. Sometimes in our lives when we go through, we make some mistakes. We may be lucky God can use those mistakes for our good. Even though we messed up, even though we didn't mean to do it, God can still turn that around and say, you know what, you may have messed up, but I'm going to use that for something in your good in the future that you may not know about at the time. I wouldn't hold to that as a promise that every time you mess up, God's going to turn it around. I wouldn't do that. But God can do it, and nevertheless, amen. So God was able to use this weakness. On the second trip to Timnah, he finds the woman. On the second trip, he finds a lion, kills the lion straight out with his bare hands, which is amazing. Kills the young lion just his bare hands. On the third trip, he finds the lion that he had killed, dead and rotting, and see that bees have gotten into the lion, the carcass, and starts to uh, form honey there, a honeycomb inside of the dead lion. And so what's the first thing that pops into his mind? I bet I could eat that. I, trust his, I don't trust his judgment here. I don't know if I would be the one that saw honey inside of a dead animal and said, you know what, that might be good to eat. That might be something cool. Um, I don't really trust him at that time. But he, but he did go ahead and, and pull that honey from the carcass and eat it. In doing so, he completely disregarded the Nazarite vow, which we mentioned earlier. He's not supposed to touch dead things. He's not supposed to touch the unclean. And yet he blatantly disregards that and decides he's going to have some of that honey for himself. We start seeing that as a pattern of disregard to some of the things that, that uh, he took a vow that was put on him from birth. Um, so in, in, uh, after, he, after he eats the honey, he actually gives some to his mom and dad, which I'm sure he didn't give them a heads up. Probably he's like, here, here's some honey for you. Little do you know where it's coming from, but here's some honey for you on the, on the, on the side there. Um, so after he gets honey, they go to, to, to Timnah. There's going to be a wedding feast. There's a feast that's going to be there. They go to uh, probably some drinking that's going to be going on as a wedding feast, which, again, if he did, that would violate his vow. Um, and Samson produces a riddle at this time. He produces a riddle to these Philistines saying, hey, I, I, he thinks he's, that he's, you know, he's going to be real smart. He's going to trick them. It says if they could figure it out by the end of the, the seven days, he's going to give them 30 linen wraps, 30 changes of clothes. He's going to give them all these things. If they couldn't do it, Samson's going to, they have to give back to him the same in return. They all have to give him the 30 and, of, uh, wraps and clothing. Um, and at this pivotal point at Samson's life, he may not have known it, but this pivotal point, this riddle, is going to be a catalyst for the rest of his life in fights against the Philistines. He was probably already, he, you know, he loved the Philistine women. He probably was, you know, they were his captors. But he may not know that one decision was going to change the course of what he was going to, and his, his, uh, his attention with these Philistines. There are certain uh, things in our lives when we go through them, there's decisions we can't see into the future. I wish we could. It'd make it a lot easier if we could see these actions I'm going to take, how they're going to affect us. But sometimes in our lives, when we make these decisions, we don't see how this one simple thing could change the course of our whole life, whether it be good or bad. So we have to keep mindful of the decisions that we make and make sure that they're led by God because God can see further on. We don't, Samson obviously didn't have that forethought. So he, he gives them this riddle. He gives them the riddles and says, and out of the NLT, it says, out of the ones who eats comes something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Sounds very nice, very, you know, poetic there. Um, the guys have no clue what it is. Three days pass, they can't really figure out what this is. So on three days pass, they resort to uh, uh, going after his wife on the fourth. 
Not really a smart thing to do, but in Judges 14, 15, it says, it came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, hey, entice your husband that he can tell us what this riddle is, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have you called us out to take that? Have you called us to take that we have, if not so? It's salt of the gentlemen that are, salt of the earth, real gentlemen that are here saying we're going to basically kill you and your whole family if you don't tell us the answer to this riddle. So, the starts in the Samson, they start, she starts asking him repeatedly, just tell me what it is, tell me what it is, tell me what it is. Finally, on the seventh day, Samson tells her the answer, and she goes, obviously, tells the 30 men. The people wind, the men wind up telling Samson the correct answer. <laughs> Samson gives one of the craziest replies that you'll find in the Bible. Uh, Judges 14 and 18 says, The men of the city said unto him, On the seventh day, before the sun sets, uh, hold on, uh, Where's my? What is? Uh, yeah, they said. What is? What is the answer? What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than the lion? He said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found my riddle. Such a romantic man Samson was, talking about his wife in such a way. If ye had not plowed with my heifer, it's crazy. In order for Samson, though, to fulfill this part, he begins to. to how am I going to get all this stuff to uh, give back to these men? Being angry, he goes down to Ashkelon. He doesn't have his own stuff. He just said God's going to, you know, I'm sure fulfill at some point. No, he didn't have his own stuff. He goes down to Ashkelon, kills 30 individuals, loots them, takes all their stuff, and gives it to, the, to these men to fulfill this. So this has angered him even more. Um, when he leaves, his father-in-law gives his wife, because he thought, obviously, probably because of the heifer comment, that he hated his wife. He winds up giving her to his best man after he leaves the town to come back. And when he comes back, he found out not only is his wife no longer his own, he's been given to another man, but that, that he wasn't even able to, before he left, not even able to consummate the marriage. So he doesn't even have rightful claim to her as well. So he does what I'm sure any normal human being, any normal man would do. He catches 300 foxes, ties a torch to their tails, and turns them loose in the Philistines' fields and proceeds to burn them down. Not to be outdone, the Philistines in turn, they were true to their word. They burned down his, his wife's house, his wife's family, and all the fields that were in there, he burns, they burned them as well, going back and forth between Samson and the Philistines. The Philistines, the Samson retaliates in kind. He goes back, he winds up slaughtering many of the Philistines that day once he found out what was going on. He goes back to the rock of Edom. Philistines, of course, this is, this is the riddle that goes back and forth. The riddle is the catalyst. They go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Philistines, of course, want revenge. They want revenge, so they wind up settling in Judah. In Judah, they wind up, and all the people in Judah are like, hey, what are you guys doing? This was our, well, they were under captivity, but they had now invaded their land, and the Philistines were saying to Judah, what's, what's kind of going on there? They explain everything that Samson's done, saying, we're here to take them out. We're going we're gonna to get them. So go, go talk to your boy. Go talk to him, because we're going to get them one way or another. 3,000 men of Judah go to talk to Samson and say, hey, Philistines are here. They're going to kill you. They want you to take you down. At least can we, can we work something that's out that's here? In Judges uh, 15, 14 through 15, or they, they, he, they bring him down, and then once he gets down to the bottom, obviously he can't, his chains can't be, uh, can, cannot hold him. The surprise, the ropes can't bind Samson. Judges 15, 14 through 15 says, And when it came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, the Lord still working on him, 
And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire. His bands loosed off with his hands, and he found the jawbone of an ass and put his forth his hand, took it, and he slew a thousand men that were part of that. Even though God, he is still, God was still working in him, even though he had made several, obviously, up to this point, mistakes. Obviously, that disregarding the law, God still was able to, to use him because he was uh, still part of that vow that he had with him. After killing all the thousands of uh, the thousand Philistines, he's hungry, right? He's thirsty, as one would be after killing so many people, I'm sure. And God miraculously provides for him again. He, there's water that comes out of the jawbone of the ass and actually, uh, uh, and actually restores his, uh, his strength again. And he is revived. So we see God still working in a mighty way in Samson's life. Even though he's still uh, disobeying, God can still work in him and try to, to lead him for the, the nation of Israel. All these things going back and forth, the foxes burning down his, burning down his wife's house, uh, killing with a jawbone of the house, all this was because of one simple riddle that went back and went bad. The second woman that was actually, this, all of that was done, the second woman he goes to was a harlot from Gaza. This is really brief. The, he goes in to, to Gaza for, to, to find this. It says that she's a harlot. She's a prostitute. The Philistines try to capture him. He leaves in the middle of the night. Not only does he leave, he takes the entire gates of the city off of the walls, takes them up the hill, and puts them at the top of the hill. Needless to say, the Philistines don't attack him at this point. They kind of just leave it alone and say, you know what? We're going to let you go at this point. He shows another mighty act of strength. All this publicity that people are seeing, he's not seeing that he's uh, disregarding his vows on the, on the private side. They just see the strength in, on, the, on the public side. They're all seeing what he can, you know, the strong, strong guy, even though he's not living like he should. Finally, the last one is with Delilah, and I'm not going to go over that as much because I'm sure we've heard that many times before. Um, but he go, the, the lords of Philistines try to go to Delilah. He falls in love with this Philistine woman, and they're going to give her 1,100 pieces to say, hey, if you can deliver them to us, let's, let's you know, bring it on. They're going to give them 1,100 pieces each. There are five Philistine uh, lords that were in the, mentioned in the Bible, and so they're going to give them each. That's a total of 5,500 shekels of silver that they were willing to pay over to her to give them. And the, 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 uh, she tries to, to, to wrap him up. There it says, first it says there's seven fresh cords. He's like, yeah, seven fresh cords. That'll do it. That was a lie. Uh, he goes, they make a brand new cords, brand new ropes that have never been used. That was a lie. Then they weave seven locks in my hair, pin it to the bed. That, that'll, I'm sure that'll do it. That was a lie. And then finally, after all this incessant asking, incessant asking, finally, uh, it's Judges 16. It says, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Vexed unto death. Finally, and he told her his heart, from his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak like any other men. He gave in to the enemy, and the enemy didn't even have to do a single blow to him. He was in the lap of the enemy and willfully gave out his demise when they didn't even to. They were cunning and took him out when he wasn't aware. We have to be aware of, this, of uh, the devil's tricks and of these things. We can't just willfully lay in the lap of sin and just say, oh, everything's going to be, I'm going to be strong. Even though he knew if his hair would be cut, he would lose all strength. He still thought that he could take them down. And unfortunately, in Samson's case, this was his downfall. 
He got her to fall asleep in her lap, and he got a person to come over and cut his hair while he slept, while he laid in comfort. They captured him. They poked out his eyes, and they put him on one of the grindstones that they used to grind wheat. And had like, an, like a blind animal led him around, around and around, being humiliated in this uh, capacity. In his final stand, uh, there was a, a, a party that they were having for the, the god Dagon. And Samson was brought out because they had captured the mighty, uh, the mighty Israelite, Samson. So they're going to make fun of him and entertain the folks. And he says here that he calls out to God one last time. Judges 16, 27 through 30 says, Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords and Philistines were there. They went there upon the roof, about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord, remember me, I pray thee. Strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood, and on which was also bore up of the one with his right hand and the other with the left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all this might. The house fell upon the Lord's and all the people that were there. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than that which he slew in his entire life. He had a lot of the negative things that happened in his life. And at the, at the end, he had one positive. He was finally able to, to break those bonds and get one last, uh, well, that's hurrah, but one last unction from God, one strength from God to, to do it. What would, it makes you think, wonder, what would have happened had he lived a positive life those, those whole years and led up to the very end? What, what much more could have been done? But God doesn't really neglect all that because even in Hebrews, Samson is mentioned as one of those men of faith. So it brings a close to Samson's story, but he's still mentioned. Hebrews says, how much do I need to say? It would be too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew a kingdom, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them, and they shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to fight. God wasn't intentional. I was reading about this and discovering a lot of some, there are some theologians that think that it was a mistake that Samson was in with the heroes of faith because of all the things that he's done in his life. They're like, well, they, they were just mentioning people in that book and he was included in there. No, I don't think God makes mistakes. <laughs> I think God's intentional with some of the things, that he, with everything that he does. And I think we inspired the inspired word of God that he was one of those heroes of faith, even though he did mess up. Even though there was a lot of failure that was in there, God still mentioned the mighty things that he did. There are several topics that have been written about this book. So uh, that was a, a, I know a longer narrative for those of you that may have not known what the, uh, the story was. Now there's, it's, it's a crazy story. But I do think there are some lessons that are, as we read through that, there's some lessons that we can really apply to our own lives and what Samson did and what, how we treat, um, uh, we, how we accept those in our own lives. So the lesson number one, that we need to respect the call and the gift and the purposes that God gives us. As seen through his actions, it can be seen that Samson at times was very disrespectful for the gifts that God gave him. Became really cocky and being like, you know what, I'm really strong. And that's his thing. God given him strength and he showed out whatever he did, even though it wasn't for his own, or for God's own good that he would receive it though. Throughout his story, we see him violating many of the Nazarite vows, even eating honey from the lion. Again, don't understand why, but he did it, most likely drinking wine at the party and eventually revealing that his hair was the source of it and having it cut. So even though 
uh, Samson was under the old covenant, under the law, the Nazarite law. We are under grace as well. It's still wise to us consider this lesson from Samson, that just because we're under grace doesn't mean that we can disregard the gifts and the call that God gives us, and that gives us the ability to sin. We have to not be lackadaisical about these things that God gives us. We can't be in, you know, sleep in the lap of the enemy and, 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 and not even think about it, right? Grace teaches us that we live godly. Godliness is not just a, a simple behavior modification. That's what some people think. Well, if you're godly, you just you change all these. Well, that may be a result of it, but that's not what godliness is. Godliness is saying, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to, it's internal respect for the things of God. And then some of those behaviors do come as a part of that, but it really internally, it's that deep respect. And it's something that some seems to be lacking in Samson. Hopefully it's not lacking in us as well. So we need to have a respect for the, the giftings, the callings that, that God gives to us. Number two is we can't let our gifts also lead us to a sense of entitlement. Samson had that gift of strength. He, would, he did have that gift, and that, was, that really boasted his ego, as you can see many times. He thought he was undefeated, which if you're the strongest human on planet, I could see how that tendency might get there. If your heart wasn't rooted in you know, saying, God, you gave me this, I'm going to use it for you, saying I'm going to use it however I see fit. There are times in Samson's life here that the sense of entitlement really picks up. He acts kind of spoiled, especially when talking to his mom and dad. His mom and dad are like, why don't you pick literally anybody else than besides the Philistines? And he tells them, no, go get her for me because she pleases me well. How self-entitled and spoiled does that sound? It's because our gifts and our talents, sometimes they, people see the giftings that we have. They can kind of set, they set us apart from the crowd, and they can make us be noticed by others. It can be easy to fall into that sense of, it. well, God has given me this gift, so I can do these wonderful things. No, that's not, that's not the case. We need to make sure that we're careful, that we understand that these gifts are truly what they are. They are gifts from God. We did nothing to deserve them. We did nothing that earned us anything that God really gives us. It is that internal, that gifting that he gives to each and every one of us. We are called to be humble about them. We're called to be understand what those giftings are and use them not for our own glory, but for what God has. How many, how many times we've seen people that you see their lives, and you can tell that maybe, maybe that early on that they use whatever gifting it may be for God, and now they're using it for other purposes. And you're like, man, that opportunity that was there, that, that, that the, the gifting that was there, when we return it to him. We find this often in, in politics. People will, the politicians believe that they're above sometimes the law that they're used to upheld. They don't uphold it. They, 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 they have that sense of entitlement. Samson is a reminder that we can't afford to let our gifts and our talents and our abilities make us feel superior. We cannot feel that way. They are gifts for a reason. We don't own them. You can't buy them. They're given to us freely by God, and that means that we have to keep them in perspective. Keep them saying, God, this is what you've given me. I'm going to keep the, that thing being the main thing to be used for you, not for my own good, but that thy will be done. Lesson number three that I see out of here is that just because you win a battle doesn't mean that you're going to deliver the nation. You're not necessarily going to win the war. It's interesting how many times, how many Philistines Samson killed throughout his whole career. They were the enemy and they were at war. They were fighting back and forth. Under Samson's leadership, the head count went tremendously up. By himself, he racked up a lot of kills. But at the end of the story, as I mentioned at the very beginning, we don't see Samson delivering the Israelites. 
That, that's not what he went for. He didn't deliver them. We only see a, a head count. This just goes to show that we can win a lot of battles, a lot of spiritual battles that we can go, but that doesn't mean if we stop fighting that we're going to win the war. We have to keep, it only means that you're fighting a lot over and over and over again. You're not necessarily winning the war. To win the war, we must accomplish God's purpose. That's what winning the war is. Otherwise, you're just fighting needless battles. This applies to many areas of their life. You may be the best doctor, the best dentist, which we have here in the house, the best businessman, but if your accomplishments are not for the glory of God, it's pointless. It's completely pointless. At the end of our lives, we're not measured by our accomplishments. We are measured by how much we fulfilled the purpose of God. What did you call me to do, God? And did I do what you called me to do? Am I fighting these battles on my own for my own glory so that I can win all these accomplishments? Or am I fighting the war saying, God, I'm going to fight this war against this, this, carnal, this carnal world and Satan to win as many souls to you as I can? It's measured by the purpose that God gives us. So just because we win a battle doesn't mean that we've accomplished what God wants for our lives. We have to keep fighting day after day, week after week, fighting for what God wants us to do. Amen. Number four, let's have one more after this one. Number four is that falling away from God is rarely based on one event. Falling away is rarely based on one event. Throughout Samson's life, we see him continually disregard the things of God. As I mentioned, you, you heard me read through there. It wasn't just one thing. It was one thing until the next thing, until the next thing, until the next thing. Excuse me. It wasn't just one of those things that caused him to fail. When you add them all together, you create an atmosphere of failure. Samson ultimately did fall, but he progressively moved in the wrong direction, one step after the other. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's rarely about a single isolated event that would turn us away from him. There are certain things, there are big things that can happen in our life that may shake our core, that may shake our, our faith in God. It can really, not, honestly, knock us back and knock us off our feet. But it's rarely that one thing that says, you know, God, I'm going to give up everything, and I'm just going to turn away from you. No, it's normally a series of events, a series of, of steps that you're taking in the wrong direction. So, for example, I, I've seen people, and I know people, who do things that they shouldn't do, but they're headed in the right direction. They're heading in the right When you look at the totality of their life, it's easy to see the progress that they're making. Even though they fall, it's not that the matter that they fall, it's that they're heading, yes, they fall, but they're heading in the right direction, saying this is the, you know, the path that I need to follow. It's same on the other hand. There are some people that are doing what seems to be everything doing right, but their life is headed in the wrong direction. They're saying on the outside, they're like, yeah, they're doing everything that we expect us expect them to do. But their heart and what they're going after is not following what God wants from them. And it's normally not just one situation. It's a, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. The good thing is there's time to change around those things as well. If we see someone that's going down, encourage them. Don't bash them, but we can encourage them and say, hey, you know, you know I want, I'm praying for you. Hopefully I can, we can nudge them on the right way and, and encourage them, say, and bring them back to God. One person can make a difference in that person's life that's heading down the wrong path. Falling away from God's really just one event. It's due to the direction that we're headed. Are we pointed in the right direction? Are we pointed towards doing what God wants from us? Can we all stand? I'm going to go through the fifth point, then we can have the songs come. I just have one more. Number five, we just have to remember that even though God's grace, as we mentioned, is redemptive, 
our choices, as it is in Samson's life as well, our choices have consequences. Too often we think, as I mentioned, that under grace, that there may, there may be no consequences from our actions. But unfortunately, this is horribly wrong. Yes, we are under grace. But every decision we make has some kind of consequence. If we continually live in rebellion against God and against his, his love, we're going to suffer those consequences. And it doesn't mean that God is mad at us. Some people think that, you know, if something happens, God's, God's punishment, God's mad at us. No, that's not necessarily the case. God isn't mad at us. It doesn't mean that God's getting even with us. It's just that our decisions are going to have consequences. What are we following? Just like Samson, all of his, one, his riddle, all the boasting, all the things that led to him eventually losing his eyes, losing his life eventually because of the consequences that he made. As I look at the story of Samson, I, I see a man that was called of God. The very first couple scriptures we read, God moved in his life. We know that God blessed him. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was called of God. He had a gifting of God. A man with supernatural endowment, yet his decisions had consequences for his life and, unfortunately, for the nation of Israel. We don't live in a vacuum. Uh, every decision we make can either help us or it can hurt us. We either bless others by our lives or we cause them pain by our actions sometimes. Our decisions and our words have consequences. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure the decisions I make make my life count. I want to make sure that I make a difference in those and the others that are around me and in this world. I want my life to matter in the eyes of God and in the eyes of people. And I'm sure we all want this too because we love God and we want to be used by him. But we have to remember that our actions will have those consequences. So just like in Samson's life, let's not live a life of sin or sin of disavowment and have one good hurrah at the end, right? I don't think anyone in this room is planning on doing that. But we can live a life that is pleasing to him and see the word of God that can be moved upon us and how he can use us if we dedicate ourselves to him. If we look at this lesson and say, you know, there are some things I see in him that I, you know, maybe I felt entitled. Maybe I've, I've given these giftings and I thought I, maybe I'm better than what I thought I was. No, let's make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Remember that God has called each and every one of us for a specific purpose, a specific task. And our goal in this life is to fulfill that purpose till we get to heaven. And he says, my child, my good and faithful servant, welcome home. You've finished your task. As we sing here tonight, I'm not going to have really an altar call. But I just want us to, to take a moment of inventory and think about the lessons that we heard here tonight. Some of the things that, that may have spoke out to you. Say, God, is there, is there something in there, Lord God, that, that, you're, that you want to, uh, to, to mold and shape a little bit more than what I've already had? Point out these things in me, Lord God. Show me what you want me to do. Show me how you want me to be in Jesus' name. Can we sing here tonight? We'll pray just for a few minutes here tonight.